From the Metropolitan Campus of Fairleigh Dickinson University, this is WFDU-FM and HD1 Teaneck, the New York metro area's home of retro radio oldies and eclectic weekends, streaming worldwide at WFDU.FM. And welcome back. I'm Ron Alesco, and today we have one of our favorite guests who is joining us. Um, this man is... is been recording since 1975 he's been an activist way longer than that and uh he is in the middle of a, of a well he's been doing so many things we're going to be talking about but one of the things i'm really intrigued about he's re-releasing an album that was recorded over 20 years ago uh, it's called been a long time and the gentleman who is with us today is none other than Psycon. Psy, it's so good to see you again. Oh, Ron, you know, I'm sorry that all of your followers aren't on this stuff because you're looking great, buddy. <laughs> you sorry. are looking great. Hey, thank you. So you I got mean, some you special know, there or something like that? I mean, you, you look 20 years longer than I last saw you. <laughs> you, mean, you mean I look only 80? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Hey, 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 Ron, do you know that in less than two and a half years, I will be 80? Really, it's I. I, well, I think real. I think really. I. I. You know. Ugh, you know. I've always believed that I could talk my way into anything, and I could talk my way out of anything. This has led uh -huh. to some of the greatest moments of my life, yeah. and to some totally unbelievable disasters. Right. <laughs> so I just figured, yeah, death. I'll figure something out. It has kind of sunk in. That's not going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm deeply fortunate. I'm in excellent health. I've got, you know, I inherited really good, healthy genes. And, you know, I, I take care of myself up to a point. But, and I think I will make it to 100. I don't think I'll make it to the traditional 120. Do you know the, in, in Jewish folk tradition, you, you, you say, bis 120, may you be 120, because supposedly that is the age that Moses lived to. Uh -huh. Now, the Torah doesn't tell us what kind of shape he was in. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, you know, okay, so uh, you, you know how people say, oh, I just want to age gracefully. You've heard that? I've heard that, sure. Right. Good luck. <laughs> Good oh, luck. You are aging gracefully. You well, are, you know, you, know, you, you look know like what? a teenager, honestly. I'm, I'm not just joking about that. I mean, no, I guess it's you. because you're so active and you, you're still doing well, so much. It, I, you know, I no, I think I thank you. I think I just have good luck. I mean, honestly. And but but here's what's cool. You know, a couple year, a couple years ago, time with a pandemic, I've lost my sense of time. You know, mm -hmm. and a couple of months, years, generations, centuries, millennia ago. I realized, no, no, what I'm aging is gratefully. And this is the truth. I am, I am grateful for my good health. I'm grateful for an extraordinary marriage of, of many, many, many years. I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, I'm not homeless. I'm not on the streets. Grateful not to have COVID, not to, you know, have died and left loved ones forlorn. I, I am just, I'm aging gratefully. And I mean that. I just, I'm, I'm not in any sense, say, you know, a, religious person i was raised very religiously but you know and, and, and i think of myself i'm profoundly secular i'm deeply and proudly jewish i think everybody should be proud of who and what they are and i am i proud i don't i don't mean arrogant i just mean accepting and think 
yeah, I, I'm glad I have a heritage that I do. Sure. Um, so I'm just, I'm happy to be here. Uh, we're happy you're here. And, and I love that. I'm aging gratefully. I'm going to have to remember yeah. that and use that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one thing we're grateful is that you've you've re-released this this wonderful album. Uh, been a long time. Now, this was really. I mean, I think I said mentioned earlier you you had been recording since 1975, mm -hmm. and even from the early days, people were recording your songs. Yeah. And you know, a lot of you're a solo artist most of the time. You're playing guitar, folkies, yep. but a lot of your songs were being performed by different artists, bluegrass style. Mm -hmm. And you had never until this point done a bluegrass album so this was a, a little bit of a departure for you well you know ron it was not just a departure it was a surprise uh -huh. right I, I you know i i don't pretend that i remember things all that clearly i'm happy to make up what happened but to the to the extent that i understand how this ended up i don't think i intended to do a bluegrass album i just got lucky Mm -hmm. So what happened is, and I don't remember, I, ra I ran into Dr. Banjo, Pete Wernick, you know, right. just it, a member of the famed bluegrass band Hot Rise. That's a rise with a Z. Right. For those who don't follow bluegrass, Hot Rise was a <laughs> brand of flour and that sponsored Bill Monroe, right? Ah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yep. That's that's what it was. And, and Hot Rise, the band consisted of Pete Werdick on banjo, um, Tim O'Brien on everything, uh, Nick Forster on guitar, and Charles Sautel on guitar, which is to say it's kind of like the, the four horse people of the Bluegrass Acopolis. Uh -huh. Right? And I said, I ran into Pete, who was, was a good friend, and Pete said, have, have you made an album in the last few years? I said, no, no, I haven't. He said, how long has it been? And I said, well, it's been a long time. And he said, how long? He said, well, I said, it's a good six years. He said, but you were putting out an album like every year or two. What, what? I said, well, look, the honest truth is I can't afford it. You know, I said, you know, we're both working. We've got three kids. We're okay. I mean, we're, we're not in any sense, you know, anything other than privileged, but I don't have the money to make an album. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, but we need an album from you. He said, I'll tell you what, you come out to Longmont, Colorado. That's just outside of Boulder. You stay with me and Joan, you know, they, they, by the way, they do some, some very nice work as a singing couple. So I'll talk to Charles Sotel. He's got a studio not far from here. It's called the Rancho de Ville. I'm like the what? He says, well, He's into Cadillacs, and he said, when you get here, I'm, I'm not going to tell you now, but you'll see why. When I got out there, I realized, oh, there's two pink Cadillac convertibles parked under a carport. I'll bet we're there, right? He said, so try it. So we'll do it in Charles' studio. He said, and, you know, Charles and I will both play on it. He says, we, 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 we're going to do this on a really, really low budget. And I'm not going to tell you what I did it for. It was a, mm -hmm. just a real act of grace and friendship, you know. And um, he said, but I know some local musicians who are actually wonderful. They're just not well-known because they'd rather stay home than tour. And, and we'll turn out an album, right? So, well, when you're going to make an album and it ends up being the cast of characters, Pete's Wernick, 
I started to say Pete Seeger, Charles Sautel, Laurie Lewis, Sally Van Meter, uh, you know, Tom Rosen, Todd Phillips. Well, you know, they're not going to play waltzes. Well, they might play waltzes, but they'd be bluegrass waltzes. So I think it was just the, the nature of the band and Pete as producer moved it in a bluegrass direction. And I am so glad that it did. Yeah, it, it just sounds terrific. In fact, why don't we listen to a cut from the album right now that I think uh, really showcases uh, the bluegrass influence. It's a, it's a song called Hear That Sound. Any story behind this song? Oh, I just want to point out what a great transition you made there, Ron. That was really a class act. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 there, I, you know, I have no idea why I wrote it, when I wrote it, where I wrote it. I like it. Um, I, I do think that if you look at all this across the songs on the album, what, and, and I, I really, I just sort of realized this in working on the re-release. You know what happened is that I was sitting in my office and I heard a ghostly voice singing, re-release me and let me love again. And I thought, wow, that's a message, you know. But what I realized listening to it after 20 years later, it's, it's really a portrait of white working class life in Appalachia. You know, from, from uh, urban Appalachia up there, you know, over the Rhine of Cincinnati, all the way down to in the North Georgia mountains where I used to live. That, that's not my sole subject or even my primary subject. I write about African-American life, indigenous life, Jewish life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I write about, I write for everything. I, I think to be a political artist is to just write about everything and refuse to censor yourself. But, but this is what it turned out to be. And, and he, among the essences of bluegrass are the three horse people of the apocalypse, which is music, moonshine, and murder. And they're all in this song. Big piney mountain under the crest of the ridge. The sounds of the holler piled around me, brush at a low water bridge. My childhood was rocked to the sweet mountain sound, banjo, guitar, mandolin. That high lonesome fiddle flew round my cradle, first smell of rain on the wind. Some we just ran down the road Some nights the devil sang in my fiddle Some nights he danced with my soul Was it 
the music? Was it the drinking? Was it the one I adore? Was it the stranger who lies in the bushes who'll never go dancing no more? Oh, can't you hear that sound? tune from Psycon and it appeared on the uh, originally released in what was it 20 or 2000 20, 2020 yeah clear the, the year of clear vision wow it's a it's a great album been a long time and it's just been re-released in fact um, earlier this month uh, it, it came out again what what was the reason to bring it back out i mean a lot of our especially somebody like you you're so prolific you're always writing prolific uh, but not pro-life okay i, I support women's right to control their bodies and their lives exactly exactly but what what, what brought the, the idea of re-releasing this album again well really ron there were two things i mean the, the first was that it never really got the level of promotion that i listening back on it i think it deserved um nobody's fault it just just sort of fell between the cracks mm-hmm. and every time i'd see the great, truly great Lori Lewis, she'd say, boy, it's such a shame that record turned out so well and nobody ever heard it. I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. But Mm -hmm. then the miraculous thing, my friend Carl Apter, who was half of Sliced Bread Records along with Gene Shea. Gene was, you know, a Philadelphia DJ, helped start the Philadelphia Folk Festival, emceed it every year until just before his death. Carl was cleaning out his house Somewhere, somewhere near, I think in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, getting ready to move with with Beth, his longtime spouse, permanently to Florida. He called me up and said, "Hey, guess what I found in the basement when I was packing up?" I'm like, 
Carl, I'm not going to guess. Is it a corpse? You know, is it you know, this skeleton in your closet? Is it, you know, a, a, an entire case of Lagavulin 16? Just tell me. He said, no. He said, what I found is a thousand copies of the booklet for been a long time. Uh-huh. Okay, so, you know, a lot of your listeners will know when, when you, in the old days when you made a physical CD, it had a booklet because the booklet is actually the most expensive part of making a CD because once you first, once you set up the presses, once you've run a thousand, the second thousand costs almost nothing. But if you have to set up the presses again, it's very expensive. So it's kind of, you know, it's just, just almost just in the course of business, you run however many booklets you're going to put CDs out, and then you run an extra thousand for good luck. And I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. What are you going to do with them? And he said, well, I, just, I think we should, you know, bring the album back out again. You know, he says, you know, it's not going to cost much at all to repress them now that we've got the booklet. So that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And I am, Rod, I am so glad it happened because I, I, I do think it's a wonderful album. I, I think, I mean, I mean with, with those artists, how could it be anything else? And, and, the, and, and two other things. One is that because it was going to be a bluegrass album, Pete Wurdick really helped me learn how to sing in a different style than what I'd done before, including editing my songs, cutting out words so there'd be space to breathe when the music is going by quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is that the, the music was so gorgeous and, and so self-assured. I mean, I didn't have to worry. I didn't have a guitar player saying, could I cut that again? You know, I, I've, I've had the privilege to work with extraordinary artists. That happens rarely. But the music that was coming down was so beautiful. I was just relaxed and happy. And so I, I do think I did some of the best singing of my life. So that's, that's what happened. And I'm, I'm, you know, that's my story. I'm sticking to it, and I'm really glad that's the well, story. Well, it's, it's a great reason to, to bring it back. I mean, I, I had the original. I've been playing it, and uh, I have to admit, I, I had to dust it off again when I saw, heard it coming out because it, it's, it's a <laughs> But, yeah. you know, as, as you listen to it, uh, I mean, you're, you've always been a political songwriter. Yeah. Um, and what you were thinking 20 years ago, some of it, unfortunately, is still fresh in these new songs. This in is true. Songs. Yeah. But, okay, but, but I, I believe, of course I'm a political songwriter, but I would never go to a concert where somebody was doing nothing but political songs. Mm-hmm. No, no, no way. I would not do that. You know, um, you know so you know, I, I'll tell you a story. One time, I'm not going to identify anybody, a, a, a very well-known artists at a festival said, can I speak with you privately? I said, of course you can, right? And this person said, you know, I, I think I'm a good guitarist. I said, you're a great guitarist. I said, I think I'm a pretty good vocalist. I said, no, you're a wonderful vocalist. I said, and they said, and I think I write decent songs. I said, you write very good songs. And they said, but, you know, I, I, I really, I don't seem to draw an audience. And, you know, I've been at this a long time, and I, I, I don't understand what's happening. Do you have any idea? And I said, oh, I know what's going on. And they said, really? I said, yeah, you're terminally depressing. They said, really? I said, look, I love what you stand for, but your entire concert is about nothing but human tragedy. Mm-hmm. And not only are the songs tragic, the introductions and the Posts, whatever it is, the post song. So you'll do a song, for example, about 
um, child slavery. And you'll introduce it by talking about child slavery. And then afterwards, you'll talk about what we can do to end child slavery. Well, that's great. But the next song is in the same, in the same category. I said, do you know any love songs? And they said, no, I actually don't. I said, well, well go write some. And, 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 and they came, I saw about five years later, they said, you know, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and I said this with full admiration for this person, for their music, for their politics, and for their humanity. But you cannot hit people over the head. So, well, yeah, thank you. Yes, there's, there's a lot of politics in there. There's also two love songs, one of which is called First Time Lover. And Laurie Lewis absolutely nails it. And then the only duet I've ever done that I got to sing with Laurie Lewis called a long way to Harlan, which we'll talk about eventually. I mean, so there's two love songs on it. There's a love song to a grandmother. How many how many love songs to a grandmother's are there in folk and bluegrass? You know, I'm, I'm, lots of songs for grandfathers, and it's one of those too. So it's 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 the way I believe artists should be political, which is write about the whole of life. Yeah, and and refuse self censorship. You know, let let the censors do their jobs. If a radio station says that's too political for us, let them do it. Don't say, I'm not going to put this on an album because maybe it won't get played. And, mm -hmm. you know, my experience has actually been that it's been to my advantage to be outspokenly political. You know, I've been, I am very clear that I am pro-union. I am very clear that I have problems with corporations destroying the earth. I am very clear that I am Jewish and comfortably so. And, you know, we can go down the list of issues. I'm pretty clear about where I stand. People deserve to know it. If they don't want to play my albums, that's their business. Right. My business is to tell the truth to my best opportunity and advantage. And, and just, to, and, and I, and I believe that, um, I believe that's one of the things that people care about in my music, that they can count on me to yeah. tell the truth as I see it. Absolutely. That's, that's the hallmark of your music. And, you know, I was also reminded as you were uh, discussing this, that uh, a famous quote, I think, from Pete Seeger, he goes, all songs are love songs. And because it's all about the love of humanity and the yeah. love of, of each other. And that that's always come across in, in your music. That's right. You know, and, 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 and a slightly different phrasing from the great Scottish singer, Dick Gochen. Um, I love saying Gochen, right? <laughs> um, he, it's, in, it's in his, in one of his songs, he says, all the songs that I sing are love songs, but the love is a different kind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know what? You, you, you teased us with a mention of that little duet that you did with Laurie Lewis. So I think this might be a good time to, uh, uh, to play it. Um, would you like to be DJ again and introduce it? Well, no, I first, first, another superb transition for my friend of many years, Ron Olesko, <laughs> right? Oh. Is, is this like, like that you know, queen or king for the DJ for an hour? Yes. Yeah. Right. Sure. Okay. So, Here's another thing I think, I don't know whether people know this or not. I am very, very, very rooted in the tradition, broadly defined, right? When I was 15, I was listening to the Library of Congress reissues, 
of music from the 1930s. You want to hear Texas Gladden's version of The House Carpenter? I will sing it for you, right? Um, I, I know the old ballads. I know the old blues, you know? And, and as, as literary scholars and writers do literary references, you know, they'll stick something in from Hamlet, and we think, oh, they just did something from Hamlet. I do the same. And I would say in probably in one-third of my songs, there is a musical reference that only the conoscenti and the intelligentsia and people who love bluegrass music will recognize, you know? It's, and it's maybe three lines, it's maybe five notes. And, and I, sometimes I do this deliberately, sometimes I do it without thinking. But I, but, and, and I don't know if people are going to recognize it, but I hope some will. So, for example, in, in another what, what, once I did a bluegrass album, I became addicted. So in one of the albums I did with the German bluegrass band, the Looping Brothers, there's, there's a song about a, a, a Hmong uh, refugee. The, the Hmong, H-M-O-N-G, were what were referred to as the Montagnards, the, the mountain people, who um, is an eth- a very large ethnic group who worked for the CIA as warriors during the Vietnam War, right? And a lot of them ended up in the Gulf of Mexico as, shrimp, as people fishing for shrimp. And um, in a song called Gulf of Mexico, the, the Hmong guy who's fishing says, the, the morning sun is warming. That's a nice internal rhyme. The waters of the bay. It's midnight on the water in my homeland far away. Now, I don't know how many people will know that Midnight on the Water is a gorgeous fiddle tune, but I hope some will. So, so in the song, Long Way to Harlan, I think some people will say, oh, great, he's doing that old song, which goes, it's a long way to Harlan. It's a long way to Hazard. Just to get a little boo, boys, just to get a little boo. Roll on, buddy. Don't you roll so slow. How could I roll, roll, roll? When the wheels won't go, I have no idea what that means, but I love it, and and so so I'm paying tribute to the tradition in a new song. Haven't I seen your face before? Long time ago, didn't you live on Second Street, heading up the road? What are you doing way out here, a place like LA? I bet you're lonesome, bad as me. You know they say that it's, it's a long way to Harlem. Long way to go, long way to Harlem, a long way to home, yes it's a long way to Harlem, a long way to go, long way to Harlem, a long way to home. Say, ain't you Bill McCarthy's boy, I should have known why you were just a little old thing, Lord how you've grown. Your daddy was on the graveyard shift at number nine, your mama worked company store, they sure were fine folks. It's, it's a long way to Harlem, a long way to go, a long way to Harlem, a long way to home. Yes, it's a long way to Harlem, a long way to go, a long way to Harlem, a long way to
pickup truck I never liked a car I wish you'd let me take you home It's kind of far A cold camp woman can sure get lost In this low land It feels so good to come across A hometown man And it's, it's a long way to Harlan A long way to go A long way to Harlan A long way to home Yes, it's a long way to Harlan Harlan. That is Cy Khan singing with Lori Lewis. And Cy is our guest today as uh, we are celebrating the re-release of this album, Been a Long Time, an album that was recorded uh, late 90s, 97, I think was when you started recording. Is that correct? And, and it came out in 2000, or do I have that wrong? You know, I never argue with a DJ. He always lose. What's that? I never argue with a DJ. You always lose. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I am willing to accept what you just said because I don't actually know. I mean, it came out in 2000. That's probably right. Okay. Or close. I thought or I read as it. we say, close enough for folk music. <laughs> this is true. bluegrass. I could be wrong. I'll have to look it up again later. But well, you know, I could be wrong too. I was wrong on um, August the 32nd of 1981 i don't think i've been wrong again but i will admit to that okay well we'll, okay. Have, us, we'll have to remember just, that next year just try to be honest self-disclosing <laughs> oh so I, we're, we're really enjoying this new album and uh new album well, i'm calling it a new album because it is basically a new re-release uh but you know when it, when it first came out uh you know we talked before about politics and uh your songwriting uh, you know you always hear about the stereotypical bluegrass audiences being like you know really red state and such like that yeah uh, do, do you think that had any effect or is there any truth to that uh with 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 your music being accepted oh no i i think bluegrass has its roots in working class music and you know as as you know from your life experience mm -hmm. the working class is complex it can right. be it can be very conservative. It can be radically progressive. And, you know, the working class built the unions. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the corporate class that built the unions, right? So I, I think, you know, you can go back through bluegrass and you can find wonderfully progressive music. And in the audience, you can find wonderfully progressive people. I, I'll send you, I don't know if you, you know about the International Country Music Conference. Most people don't. It's, no, okay, no. So, this is a, it's actually an organization, although, and we, it's, we call it ICMC, which is very nice. In every year, we gather at Belmont University in Nashville, which has a very extensive music curriculum, but, but with, with an emphasis on roots music. And it's an academic conference, and scholars of country music, very broadly defined, is not just traditional country, but bluegrass, folk, Zydeco, blues, you, know, you name it, every genre of music, present academic papers about their subjects. So, you know, they, 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 they remember one that was called Fist City, Feminist Themes in the Music of Loretta Lynn. It's that sort of thing, right? 
very, very open and politically progressive. So in one year, they asked me to be one of two keynoters, along with the wonderful music analyst, really, I think, the dean of the people who write about progressive music and about the left, Ron Cohen from the University of Indiana. And they assigned me a topic, which was um, social justice, the folk revival of the 1960s and country music. This is my assigned topic. And I, I in talking about it, I, I did a country music quiz. And I would give some lines, which are, you know, from progressive to radical. And, mm-hmm. and I would ask people to write down their answer to who it came from. They all came from established country artists, right? And, and I, what I argued, I'll be happy to send it to you if you want to post it for your listeners. Happy to do that, the entire talk. I argued that country music does a far better job with class than the folk music revival. I argued that it actually, in some corners at least, did a better job with gender and that neither did much of anything with race. And, and I, that's, that actually is my, my opinion. And, and I decided some horrific examples of right-wing stuff from country music. Say so, yes. So my, I, I've, um, the only time I ever had something happen in the middle of a concert was once when John McCutcheon and I were on tour in the early 80s. And we did a pro choice song and somebody stood up tore their program in half and walked out and john you know good guy that he is went out and talked to them and the guy said it's not fair they do these love songs for their kids and their spouses and then they do a song about women's right to choose what happens with her life and her body i thought that was an an interesting that that was what bothered obviously he was you know anti-abortion right but um and I, and of course, if people don't like what I, but I go back to what I said. I, I don't do a concert that would offend most people. Right. I'll give you another example. One, one, you know, Merle Fest, which is like one of the the pride of North Carolina. It's just an extraordinary roots festival that I love in particular, not just for the amazing music, because it's a fun. Because it was, it was named in honor and memory of Doc Watson's son, Merle Watson, who was not just Doc's son, but his, his playing mate and his traveling companion. And Merle was killed in a tractor accident, you know, right. breaking Doc and Rosalie's heart. So um, working with Doc, Wilkes Community College, I love community colleges. It's one of the great educational institutions. And, and one of our, our kids really got turned around by going to a community college. So it's a fundraiser for the for Wilkes Community College. It's in Wilkes County. And um, I love that it's a nonprofit festival that raises money and the scholarships go, the music scholarships for poor kids from that area, you know. So, you know, in, in my, con- I think my concerts, I don't think people would ever say, oh no, that's, no, that, he's a left winger. He's one of those crazy. I think people would say, yeah, I remember my grandmother talking about that. That's the kind of songs I write. So one year, I followed Pete Seeger. It says something about Merle Fest that they brought Pete Seeger in, right? On the children's stage. Because <laughs> it was Pete Seeger, there was like a staggering audience and no children. Right? So I 
followed Pete. So I had, I had like one of the biggest audiences I've ever had. <laughs> and I started by saying, how many of you are veterans of our armed forces? I would say that about a third of the men and about a quarter of the women raised their hands. And I said, well, I am dedicating this set to you for what you did, the sacrifices you risked, the sacrifices you made. And I am dedicating it to the hope that sometime down the road, we have made this a better enough world so that nobody's granddaughter, nobody's grandson will have to do what you did. I did songs. I did some things that my you know, folk friends would say, oh, you did a peace concert, right? Afterwards, I got a standing ovation, right? I mean, because my songs about war um, don't vilify people. They might vilify the generals or the policymakers, but, you know, uh, I, I, I respect the people who serve their country in different ways. And, and I'm, I'm never going to say what some people said to soldiers returning to Vietnam that did not serve us well. So, yeah, so um, I, I try to write in a way that, you know, people who don't share my politics would at least think about things, right? Right. right. I mean, I, there's one song I've got called When the War is Done that says, you know, those who fight the battles are not those who make the laws. Mm -hmm. But bravery is still bravery, even in an unjust cause. Now, I've, I've, I've had some people fight me on that. I, and I remember I was playing at the, the wonderful old songs festival, which I love partly because, you know, it, it takes place in a genuine county fairground. So you're playing in the cow barn, you're playing in the, in the pig barn. And I, and I was part of a explicitly named peace concert, and I, I did this song. And the first person in line after us was furious. She said, you've sold out your politics. You know, people who, who, who go to war, they are murderers. They are killers. How dare you justify them? And she, she said, I, I, I counted on you. I don't even want to hear your music anymore. Wow. Right? The second person was a guy much, much bigger than me. He was crying. And he said, I'm a Vietnam veteran. No one wants to talk about us. No one wants to remember us. Thank you for remembering what we sacrificed. I'm not, I'm not, I think she was right, and I think he was right. I think you, you, if, if you're really, if you're really, because it is true that, that, you know, you don't have to go. You can be a conscientious objector. You can refuse in this country, not in all countries. So you do have a choice. And, sure. And economically, you may not have a choice. It is not a coincidence that West Virginia, one of the poorest states in our country, sends the highest percentage of its women and men into the services. It's the only job there is. Yeah. So I just, I, I think, I think, Rod, I try to deal with complexity rather than to simplify, because nothing is simple. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I want to play another song now, which I, I think also talks about relating to all people uh it's a song called houses on the hill and i, I know in your your liner notes you were talking about uh, back when you were an organizer for the, the textile workers union of america but the themes that you bring up in this song are, are something that everyone can relate to no matter what your your politics and oh, uh, thanks i i, I 
I'd like to share this now, and then we can come back and talk about it a bit. Sounds good. Thanks, Rod. I remember real hard times A day's work wasn't worth a dime You never got to eat your fill But they never went hungry in the houses on the hill Good and bad times came and went Money earned was money spent In my dreams I'm restless still But they never got worried in the houses on the hill Houses on the hill There were more fences Kept you from the town below The polished windows looked down on The company houses row on row Just wanted you to know That if I could turn this world around I'd see this mill turned upside down The bosses sweating in the mill And my kids living in the houses on the Houses on the Hill, a song from Cy Khan, who is our guest today, that appeared on the album Been a Long Time, which uh, we are grateful has seen a re-release this month, an album that's a little bit over 20 years old. We, we were talking before we heard the song about um, politics and, I guess, not compromise, that's not the right word to use, mm -hmm. but uh, understanding and listening to each other. Um, and different points of view, which is something I yeah. think comes across. And, and that, that particular song, um, I mean, I think it deals with a lot of people who uh, have been in that situation. Well, you know, most people in this country didn't start out middle class. You know, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, you, 
I mean, I try to talk to everybody. I try to listen to everybody. And, you know, and, and roots are different. I mean, that, that, uh, I remember many, many years ago, I was helping start something called the Jewish Fund for Justice, which was a foundation that supported community organizing, but not, not specifically Jewish community organizing in, in you know, African-American communities and in, in Latinx communities, in poor white communities. And um, I remember in, in the found, among, in the, on the founding board, people said, well, this is nice, but the Orthodox will never support it. So we shouldn't even reach out to them. And I was the, I was the board chair, so I said, you know, I'm not gonna assume that anybody won't support the idea of people organizing and bringing themselves up. I said, I don't care if you're a right-wing reactionary. In the Jewish community, your great-grandmother was a socialist, right? And, and I mean, you know, the Jewish community today is relatively affluent, although they were not up there with the Episcopalians yet. <laughs> but... Um, and there's still a Jewish working class, and there's still a lot of Jewish poverty in this country. But we came to this country as immigrants. We came to this country as really radically impoverished. This is the story of my grandparents, you know? And, and, and that's, in, that's in there in the collective memory. And, it's, and, I, and, it's, and, 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 I, and I think like, one of my favorite moments in all these years um, my musical Stranger in This Land, was, which is a story of my family and of, and of immigration, of immigration and immigrants, was being produced and performed at Main Stage West, a wonderful small theater in Sebastopol, California. And afterwards, I was standing by the door, you know, thanking people for coming. And a woman came up, an older woman came up, she was in tears. And she said, you know, I, I've known your music for many years. I had no idea that you were Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I, I bet being Ukrainian is a wonderful thing. I said, as it happens, I, I'm not Ukrainian. I'm Jewish, but you know, there are obviously Jewish Ukrainians. My family didn't come from Ukraine. We came from other countries. And she said, but if you're not Ukrainian, how did you know my grandfather's story? Uh. Right? So, so, you know, I've, and, and I'm, I tell you, I'm so, I don't know, overwhelmed that this music, there's, there's something called the Alliance for Jewish Theater, of which I'm a very happy member. And we're having our annual conference virtually this year on the 24th and the 26th. And they accepted this musical for showcases. There were like 79 applications for 15 slots. And I got in. And I'm sorry for the people who didn't get in, but I'm <laughs> glad I got in, right? And, and in, in the proposal, I said, in, I said, yeah. Stranger in this land, yes, it's a Jewish story. It's also an Afghan story. It's an Armenian story. It's a long story. It's... You know, and, and I named the, so many people who have experienced genocide, who have experienced immigration. You know, it's a Central American story. It's a story of, I think, the majority of people in this country. Mm -hmm. of who, who, People came here for many reasons, but uh, one of the reasons was that the life where they were was too impoverished, too hard, too discriminatory, too racist, too anti-Semitic, too, too sexist, too violent. 
people came here escaping and and they became strangers in this land but they also became strangers in their own land and the, the so the, it's not a title song it's not like an album but one of the songs is called stranger in this land and the, and the chorus is i am bound away to leave you with my suitcase in my hand i am bound away for freedom i'm a stranger in this land i always thought that it meant i'm a stranger here in the united states when elizabeth Middick, my very long time partner and spouse and i listened to been a long time um no and listen to that song she said you know you see it as stranger in the united states they haven't left yet they're standing there with their suitcase in their hands saying i'm bound away to leave you they are saying i i am no longer at home mm. in this country where i was born raised lived and she was right so so you're caught between two worlds you're 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 speaking you know in in, in one of my songs I wrote for the campaign about, uh, against the proposed pebble mine that would have devastated Bristol Bay in Alaska. There's, there's someone who is an immigrant from Sweden who says, I will no longer speak my language, but I will dream in Swedish all my life. So, so yeah, so I, I, so I think that this is a common experience, and I don't, I don't care who you are in this country. The chances are that your great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and you yourself are immigrants. Absolutely, uh, but it, it, it's. I'm I'm kind of speechless. You have to. You just said that so beautifully. Um, yeah. You know, it's something I think that it comes across in, in a lot of your music, um, and it, it's the commonality I think in themes that come in your songs that we can all relate to. Um, which just makes it so beautiful. Yeah, Sai, I apologize. I know I'm taking up a lot of your time today, but uh, <laughs> it, this is just such a... It's always fascinating. Oh, Ron, uh, you're doing me an extraordinary favor. And anyway, you're my friend. I get to. I, I actually get to see you. I know that they won't see you on the radio, but I mean, you know, the only thing that... Oh, you know what? One of my favorite songs. I have a, a couple of songs I wish I had written. Uh-huh. It's Hank Williams Jr. Fax Me a Beer. <laughs> I like that one. Right, and if I could, I would. Yeah, get working on that one. I'm <laughs> working on that one, right. Well, well you know, uh, you're mentioning all the work that you've been doing, and in, in recent years, so many other artists have uh, recorded your, your, your songs, uh, Katie Oates, uh, Sam Gleaves, and uh, Sarah Lynch Thomason, Matt Watroba, Joe Jenks, and I just got one yesterday. It's not a full album, but it's um, George Mann does one of your songs on his brand new album yes. as well. That's so cool. I haven't even heard it. Oh, it's great. We'll play it after this. Oh, uh, let's do. Oh, do that. No, I. It's. I mean. I mean. It. It's. You, you know. I never meant any of this. You know. I never intended. I, I never intended to be a musician. I. You know. Do you know this? I. Yeah. You were. Yeah. You were an activist. Yeah. Organizer. No. I'm, I'm still. That's all. I've always been a civil rights union and community organizer. That's actually my identity, and uh-huh. that's the work that I've done. Um, I made my first album when I was 30, never having performed in public. Mm. I did my first public performance at the age of 35. Wow. And I I told a reporter once that my music was a hobby that got out of hand. It's completely true. So I'm, you know, (laughs) what's not to like? (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, they, and they do. I mean, George Mann's is he's a wonderful artist. He's a wonderful person. And I'll bet he did it. I'll bet he nailed it. And I, and I bet he did a much more interesting job than I did. I mean, I part of what's so wonderful about having other people record my stuff is they hear things in the songs I didn't know were there. Mm-hmm. It's just like Elizabeth Biddick in commenting on Stranger in This Land. Well, of course, it's not just the land they're going to, it's the land they're coming from. So the, the musical interpretations, um, you know, the sheer beauty of what they do, it's just really moving to me. Sure. But it's a gift. I mean, I, you know, I, didn't, I haven't worked anywhere near as hard as most musicians do. You know, I've, I've had a, a much more privileged life. I mean, as a union organizer, you have a check that comes in every two weeks. Mm-hmm. You've got health insurance, and you've got, uh, you know, and you've got a pension. I, I have all of those things. So I'm, I'm just, you know, when I talk about, like we talked about earlier, aging gratefully. I've been aging gratefully for 45 years. Well, we're grateful that uh, that you've been around to do this, and uh, also the fact that you've been creating songs that so many people have uh, have taken under their wings and made part of their story. And speaking of stories, I know Vivian Nesbitt and John Dillon are back on the road with uh, Mother Jones in Heaven. That's nice to see. Oh, this is so good. Listen, if you're listening, as you should be, I mean, er, frankly, the entire nation should be tuned in to listen to Rod Olesko, right? <laughs> I mean, that's my opinion. But well, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean... You know, so so, and just just quickly because unfortunately not everybody knows who Mother Jones was. Well, she was a, an Irish immigrant um, back in like the 1860s. You know, I wasn't even alive then, and she was born in Cork, Ireland. Cork in Ireland is known as the Rebel City, right? And deservedly so. Came to the United States, became a Catholic school teacher, right? Went to Memphis because, in you know, river towns were booming in the in the years before the Civil War, and they were paying more for school teachers than the Catholic school she was teaching it in Monroe, Michigan. And she she married, had four children, absolutely nothing that would indicate she would become the most dangerous woman in America, which is what a West Virginia prosecuting attorney called her. And, and during the yellow fever epidemic that swept Memphis and the South after the Civil War, in a course of six days, all four of her children and her husband died. Hmm. It's unimaginable. Yeah. And so, you know, so she left Memphis, went back to Chicago, started working as a dressmaker, making dresses for rich women in the mansions on Lakeshore Drive. This is Mother Jones, right? Yeah. And then in the Great Chicago Fire in 1877, she lost her shop, her tools, everything. And maybe out of memory of her late husband, who was a union militant with the Foundry Workers Union, uh, which was the largest union in the United States at that time, she drifted down to the Knights of Labor Hall, which was made of brick and was still standing. And she started helping people who'd lost everything in the fire. Not that she hadn't lost everything. And eventually she became the best-known organizer and agitator in the United States. She was the only woman on the staff of the United Mine Workers of America, the Coal Miners Union, for 20 years. Um, She was a hell-raiser. She led march after march after march. She took 200 
terribly disfigured and disabled children from the, the textile mills near Philadelphia and Kensington, led them on a march 200 miles to Oyster Bay on Long Island where President Theodore Roosevelt had his summer home. And that brought about the first child labor legislation in this entire state. She would face down machine guns. She was known for an, an astounding liquor capacity. Uh, her dirty stories that she told to the miners in the, in the mines were legendary. Um, she was a character and a half. And um, so Vivian Nesbitt, who's a third generation actor, John Dillon, who does the public radio program Art of the Song, where they interview very, you know, all kinds of famous musicians, you know. Right. And, and Here at Monday nights on Folk Music Notebook, we, we broadcast it. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. Who was on this week? Do you remember? Was, I think it was uh, Jackson uh, Brown. It's just on. And, yeah. Uh, I forget who else is coming up, but it's always a great show. Monday nights always. at 9 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> yeah, wow. So that's great. Well, don't forget to tune in after Ron Olisco. So and, and and then and John is also a very fine guitar builder. He's a songwriter, and so it's, and and you know they're they're a couple. They learned about my mother Joan's script. Well, they didn't learn about. It. I told them about it. Okay, <laughs> and it's, what Vivian Vivian remembers it was like six years ago at Folk Alliance, and she says she said you you know we were talking we're old friends and she said yeah I'm looking for a one woman show. I don't suppose you know anybody who's got one. She says so there we are. People are rushing by back and forth, you know, looking for the next DJ to lobby. And here Sai si is singing these songs. He's reciting these lines. I'm getting more and more happy. So they've, they've taken this on. They've been doing this for half a dozen years. They are brilliant in the show. They're extraordinary in the show. They bought a 32-foot RV that I call the Mother Mobile. I think they have a different <laughs> name for it. And three weeks ago, for the first time, they performed in a town where Mother Jones had actually led 2,000 miners on a march through town. The miners were on strike. The town was called Tamaqua, Pennsylvania, right in the heart of the Pennsylvania anthracite coal fields, T-A-M-A-Q-A. And she, in that area, she had also led her, what she called her women's army, her mop and broom brigade, into mines to drag strike breakers out of the mines by whatever body part they could grab. And that's also the area where the Molly Maguires were. We'll go another time, we'll talk about the Molly Maguires, but they were a, a, an underground organization of Irish immigrant coal miners who blew up mines and assassinated mine foremen. Um, and and on, in, in the towns around in, in, in Pottsville and at Mottschalk, now named Jim Thorpe, of the, one of the largest mass judicial hangings in U.S. history. Ten of the Molly Maguires hanged on the same day. And I said to, to, to Vivian and to John before they went, you know, tonight when you walk to and from the, the venue, the performance space, you may actually place your foot where in 1900 Mother Jones walked. Wow. We're going to take a quick break for a station identification, and when we return, we'll hear a selection from Mother Jones at Heaven and continue our conversation with Cy Khan. More music coming up on Traditions. Join in our band, you are the you in union. Traditions. 
From the Metropolitan Campus of Fairleigh Dickinson University, this is WFDU-FM and HD1 Teaneck, the New York metro area's home of retro radio oldies and eclectic weekends, streaming worldwide at WFDU.FM. I have been a radical for 50 years and more. Stood against the rich and greedy For the workers and the poor From Canada to Mexico I traveled everywhere Wherever trouble called me I was there Like stitches in a crazy quilt That women piece and sew Wherever there was suffering I was bound to go Whenever help was needed, I was there I was there in the depression When times were at their worst But we had them where we wanted Like a dam about to burst With fire in our bellies, revolution in the air For a moment we saw clearly I was there There were times I saw the issues in quite a different light And old friends turned against me, but I never left the fight When stones were in my pathway and the road was far from clear whether I chose right or wrongly, I was there On a day when hope goes hungry And your dreams seem bound to fall You may see me by the mill Or just outside the Union Hall when the clouds are empty promises, the sky a dark despair. Like an eagle from the mountain, I'll be there. And you, my brave young comrades, when the future sounds the call, will you be there for the battle? Will you answer one and all? When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll's called So yeah, if you're listening to this program, if you want a, an extraordinary night, whether you know it's, it's in a, a theater, whether it's in a musical, whether it's in somebody's living room, you need go to motherjonesinheaven.com and talk to my friends Viv and John and see if they'll come and give you a, a, an uplifting, wonderful, beautiful, inspiring evening.
And for our listeners also looking for an inspiring inspiration, uh, you can check out Cy's <laughs> website as well, SciCon.com. Okay, Rod, I am naming you the Transition King. <laughs> I've had a couple of years of practice on it, but no, yep. so I, it, it's been just a joy to talk to you again. Um, it's always, I always learn something from you and so do our mm. listeners and, and this new, new re-release how do you call it? A new re-release? Oh, well, the re-release uh, of <laughs> it, well, it, well, By contrast, what would an old re-release look like? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, we'll, we'll, well you know, the next, the next one, there's there's a, a bluegrass band called Third Time Out. So maybe okay. in 20 years, we'll re-release it. It'll be a re-release in the third time out. Ah. Uh-huh. Well, listen, Cy, I want to I want to thank you for spending so much time with us All today. Right. My pleasure, buddy. My music. pleasure. Uh, I'd, I'd like to end with one song that, that actually ends this album, and I believe you wrote it in tribute to uh, Ralph Rinsler. Um, yes. A song called "When Where the Song Never Ends. So, so Ralph Rinsler was a member of the Charles River Valley Boys. The Charles River is not in Appalachia. It's it's where Harvard is located, and so that the Charles, I think Joe Val was the the lead in a great New England fiddler, but it was one of the first northern right. bluegrass bands. But that's that's only part of Ralph Rinsler's R A N Z L E R. You should look him up. Um, not you personally, Rod. You know, but but I'm talking to the audience here, right? Where are they? I don't see them, right? So, somewhere. I can hear them breathing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but Ralph went to work for the Smithsonian Institute, you know, part of our government, our taxes at work. And he created the Smithsonian Festival on the Mall, which has been happening every year for, I think, close to 50 years. Yeah. He, he became an archivist, a historian, a writer of music, and he died in his early 50s at the age, I don't know, something, somewhere in, in, in of HIV AIDS, right? And I never met Ralph, and I don't think I ever heard him live, but I did know his spouse, Kate Rinsler, and I was visiting her in Washington after Ralph's death. And she said, you know, Cy, um, we're, we're going to have a memorial for Ralph, and I would like you to write a song to sing at the memorial. Now, that is what I consider a sacred task. Mm-hmm. And and the song, when, when you hear it, you know, I'm... I'm, I sing the verses, but the chorus is called what's called in traditional folk music. It's called call and response, and in you know you, you see this particularly in African American work songs and you know, the prison work songs. The leader says something, and then the chorus repeats it exactly as it was said or sung. And so I wrote the chorus as call and response. Because I wanted, I wanted, I knew this would be second memorial, and I didn't want it to be a performance for people. I wanted it to be an honoring and a remembering sung by the entire community. So that's what you're going to hear. So this is in memory and honor of Ralph Rinsler. Well, well thank you for, for writing this. Thank you for re-releasing this album and bringing it again to our attention. I hope more people will, will tune in for it. Uh, again, the album been a long time. Psycon, it's always a, a, a honor for us to have you with us, and uh, I'm already looking forward to our next visit. Well, I'm free tomorrow. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll talk. Let me let me see if I can get another album out by then. And I am talking with my friend Ron Olesko, and I'm sorry you can't see him because he's looking so good. And Ron, thanks. You know, it's 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 always great to share time with you. Thank you, buddy. 
Thank you. Uh, we'll talk again soon. And now we're going to take a listen to Where the Song Never Ends. Let's hope it doesn't. Here's Saikon. Yes. You be the shape note, I'll be the singer. You be the cornfield, I'll be the home. You be the square dance, I'll be the caller. You be the fiddle, I'll be the bow. We will stand, we will stand on the old ground of sorrow. We will sing, we will sing in the circle of friends. We will rest, we will rest in the sweet arms of harmony. Deep in our hearts, where the song never ends. You be the bluebird, I'll be the fence post. You be the harmony, I'll be the tune. You be the circle, I'll be the handshake. You be the ocean, I'll be the moon. We will stand, we will stand on the old ground of sorrow. We will sing, we will sing. In the circle of friends, we will rest, we will rest in the sweet arms of harmony. Deep in our hearts, where the song never ends, you be the oak log, I'll be the fire. You be the candle, I'll be the flame. You be the choir, I'll be the organ. You be the memory, I'll speak your name. We will stand, we will stand on the old ground of sorrow. We will sing in the circle of friends. We will rest, we will rest in the sweet arms of harmony. Deep in our hearts where the song never ends. Deep in our hearts. Where the song never